0: I had a really, really cool conversation this past Tuesday with a pastor in our presbytery named Bonnie Gatchel. And uh, she'll be here this weekend if any of you are helping out, hosting Presbyterian, would like to meet her. Bonnie runs a ministry called Route One based out of Springfield, Massachusetts, and Boston where they help women get out of stripping. Did you know it takes the average worker 12 years and 17 tries to get out of the industry? I, I didn't know that. And when they get out, learning to pray with that broken heart is different for the most part than the broken heart that you have had in the past or me. And as Bonnie and I were talking about how we might be able to support, and part of the reason I'm talking to her is because she has come here and retreated before, and Barbara Japanga has done a little bit of spiritual direction for her. Part of our role as a gathering, is supporting this ministry indirectly by being, by being friends with her at the presbytery level, more directly through our retreat ministry. But then we were talking, and she was telling me about an idea that she had because of uh, the woman we hired, Carrie Reeves, to do outreach. There's another ministry in Boston that goes all over New England, and one of the things that they do, it's called All Hands In, and one of the things they do is they lead retreats for survivors of trafficking. They make them get a sponsor because learning to pray in light of that kind of broken heart is challenging. So I got to have this conversation because I happen to be in a, a pastor in the same presbytery with Bonnie and because Barbara has led her on retreat and because Carrie is doing some networking for us. And what's happening is we are getting a little better as a church at being a faithful presence, which is what we are called to as individual followers of Jesus and especially as a gathering of Jesus followers. We are called to faithful presence. I'm spending a few weeks talking about the vision of the church. Every year I talk about vision as I see it, but it doesn't always sound like vision. Some of you are familiar with pastors standing up and saying, who's coming with me, right? Like John Belushi from Animal House. I didn't use that illustration in the first service. I'm not sure if they would have liked it more or less than you. Some pastors are more like that than others. Follow me! I understand the importance of it, though, because we have a specific role. We need a specific vision because you are specific people. And this is an area of the world where the gospel of Jesus is needed desperately in our own hearts and lives and in the community and so it starts with worship that's the most fundamental part of being a human being if God exists and the good news of Jesus is true then it starts with learning to worship in spirit and in truth and I think our worship can be better so I offered some thoughts on that a few weeks ago and the reason that we're changing some things, is worship is is supposed to be a time of training. It is also supposed to be a time of joy, where we sense the joy that was purchased for us in Christ, but it's also a time of training. If life is at all like a marathon, which I think it kind of is, though I'm not into marathons, I think life is like that. The neighbors we are given, loving them because of the love of Christ, this is not a simple or an easy thing. This is not something that we only need inspiration for we need inspiration and training you are in significant relationships and one of the tools you need as a follower of Jesus is confession so we start with God and we confess to him we also get to confess to others as a human being we will need to learn the skill of lament a very uncool skill and an essential one to being a human being we will need to learn to praise. In my experience, most of us forget when we're in a season of orientation to praise God for it because I don't know why, actually. Someone asked me after the service last week, are we ever in seasons of orientation? I said, yes, but we don't notice it. That's when we're not paying attention. And yet the scriptures would train us to praise, actually in all times, but perhaps especially in times where we can sense God's fatherly care for us. Worship is a time of training. Those of you with children, we need some help, right? Learning how to ask for their forgiveness, training them up. We need training ourselves to interact with them. All of us have parents. We need training in how to relate to God as he says to and I want our service to reflect that more and more. And then I spoke on community as part of our healing. And right after the service, there was at least one really challenging conversation that happened. And I was like, really, Lord? The irony? You know what I'm talking about? Because community is part of how we grow up. Real friendship is part of how we become more mature lovers of God and neighbor." And at least two people that I know of were are incredibly disoriented by this. It's not all of us, but just a conversation. And, the, and that's actually good when we lean into it. Because you know, when you when you're talking with someone you don't know, you're small talking, right? And then there's the moment where the community is longer than small talk. And you're starting to put but you're starting to talk a little more, but you're still putting your best foot forward. Then there's a moment of chaos. You know? where you learn that you don't agree about everything, and then you decide what to do with that disagreement. And there are several more stages of community, but the, the thing that stings, and I, I said this last week, community will be the part of our vision that will actually harm you. Because men and women will notice your tendencies and blind spots, and by God's grace, they'll say it, but probably they're gonna say it imperfectly, and it's gonna sting. A couple of years ago, I was with a, a guys' group, friends of of 25 years at this point for some of them. And one of the guys shared at lunch really beautifully what was going on with him. He was doing foster care. Uh, They had two kids through the foster system, and it was so challenging for their family. And he was very heavy-hearted, and he shared very openly about that. And he was clearly done, and he invited someone else to share. So I shared. This was right after my wife had been sick. I shared very openly and honestly. And the next thing was, let's go watch some soccer. And I felt so naked. I felt so anxious, like I had just poured my heart, and I knew we were gonna share again as a group, but I started acting all fidgety. I don't know how you act when you're anxious. I got all fidgety, and I was moving all around the house while they were watching soccer because I'm not a big fan of soccer, and I'm sure I could grow. I know it's a great sport. I'm just saying it's not my sport. And my best friend and another very good friend came up to me, and they they, they listened to me explain why I was anxious, and then my very best friend in the whole world said, at what point are you going to admit that you're acting like a child? And it stung. And he was right. And you know what helped me stop acting like a child in that moment? For him to say it. So community is part of our vision. Learning spiritual friendship in all its challenging moments will sting. And it's an important part of our vision. You know why our vision statement's not gonna talk about us changing the world? It's not just because that's not really my style and I'm not sure you would buy it if I was like, let's change the world, people! It's actually because I believe God exists. And the good news of the gospel is true. And you have the Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Jesus, which means you're already changing the world. with your moves of justice. They don't feel like moves of justice, they just feel like your everyday life. But as a follower of Jesus, you will have opportunities for justice and for peace and for neighbor love. And we're already doing this. We are already people that live in the Farmington Valley and I believe in our homes and in our places of business and by God's grace in this gathering, we are already doing that. And yet it's still good to give language for it. So the vision is of faithful presence. That's the term I like. A lot of authors used it. I didn't make it up. It'd be cool if I had, but I didn't. And that, that phrase is really important for us as individuals and as a corporate gathering of Jesus followers. That is what your hurting friends need. You know that, right? I'm sure you have good advice for them, but you know that what they actually need is faithful presence. And perhaps you've learned that they'll only know you're faithfully present when you've been faithfully present before they've had anything bad happen, which is a really challenging thing to apply. It means essentially love neighbor well at every opportunity. Oftentimes we'll have a friend and they start to be in a season of suffering and we realize we missed the opportunity last year to be a good friend and now we're not able to support them as well as we might like If you work in the city, you've probably seen some homeless people. When I first moved here, there was a homeless guy in Simsbury. You know what he needed from me? Faithful presence. Is that all he needed? No, but it wasn't less than that. It wasn't less than here's a human being and I'm a human being and we recognize that. It involved more because of the way our church works. I was easily able to give him grocery cards and, and gas cards. But it begins with faithful presence, and one of the things that I love about that, as a, as perhaps a gentle but maybe a stronger pushback, is a lot of times when churches talk about outreach, they almost exclusively mean sharing the gospel, sharing the words of faith, sharing that in a in a relationship with Jesus we are f- healed from our past, free today, and eternally secure with God because of Christ, and that is good news. And it is not the only thing we do in our neighborhoods and in our communities. Have you heard this uh, phrase, preach Jesus, if necessary, use words? Well, One of the reasons that preaches so well is because we know that we, when we see people preach the gospel and then their lives don't involve neighbor love, we really struggle with the hypocrisy of that. Handful of things about that quote, though. First of all, Francis of Assisi didn't say it. Um, I didn't know that. I've actually said he said it before, but I did a little research. He didn't actually say that. He was a very fiery preacher that was very clear about the gospel of Jesus, very clear that true human freedom comes from a relationship with Jesus. But the reason that quote gets so much traction is because we don't like it when people preach Jesus and then don't act the way he said to act in terms of loving neighbor, which means also loving enemy. Perhaps the most radical claim in all of scripture. The other thing I I don't like about it is, um, your good deeds will never be enough. You're not going to deliver food to the food pantry and someone see you from 50 yards away and be like, that's amazing. I think I'm going to become a Jesus follower because they bought a bunch of coffee and did that, even though that's actually really important that we do. So I'm teasing out this quote a little bit because both sides of it are important. The gospel needs words for us to understand it. It was given to us in words, both spoken and written, and our actions display what we actually believe. And so the vision of faithful presence is learning to love our neighbors. Which neighbors? Familiar with this text in Matthew 25? This is a very eerie text to me because Jesus is speaking, he's giving a future picture of his followers. So he's not commanding, it's stronger than that. He's saying those who followed me, this is what their lives look like. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. You understand what this has to do with the food pantry, right? We'll get to there. Just give me a second. Before him will be gathered all the nations... And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The vision that we're putting together language for as elders and as a church is a faithful presence. And that faithful presence is where we find ourselves. You have neighbors. You live in an actual place and there are people that live near you. I get it. They might be three acres away in this part of the country, so you might have to talk to them when you happen to pull in at the same time, or you won't have a shot otherwise. But that's when you offer faithful presence. My neighbor across the street asked for help tearing down a shed last year. He remembered that I had a chainsaw and am willing to do things. like. And I loved it. It was my opportunity. Now he wants to come help me. This is part of how we're getting to know each other. The vision is of faithful presence with our actual neighbors. The categories that I just read in Matthew 25 of those who are sick, homeless, or in prison, are you already involved with a ministry like that? Or organization doesn't have to be a ministry, an organization that ministers to one of those categories? Hear me, good. You don't need to be involved in another one. But if over the course of a calendar year there's no engagement from you on those categories you're in a spiritually dangerous spot. And this is hard for me. I don't want you to feel guilty. But what's more important to me than how you feel is that we all engage with Matthew chapter 25 and Jesus saying, my followers cared about these people and sought to be faithfully present in their lives with their felt needs. So if you're already involved people in one of these categories, good. When we do the food pantry, just walk on by and don't worry about it. When we mention a Habitat for Humanity opportunity, don't worry about it. You already got it covered. When you hear about Hartford City Mission or Kairos Prison Ministry or the Crisis Pregnancy Center or the places that many of the men and women here are already involved in, when you hear about going down to Hartford, and feeding the homeless the fourth Saturday of every month with the team from the barn that does that if you're already involved don't worry about it but if you're not you're gonna need to put that into your calendar how often I'm not sure I know you're busy I really 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 do some of you are like my kid has soccer and I, I, I know I've been in ministry for 17 years I know about the soccer schedules Sometime over the next three hundred and sixty-four days, though. One of these categories needs to be a place that you spend your time. It must be, actually. Because of the not not because I'm saying it, because God loves you, pursued you, and this is inevitably what we do. Our youth ministry is gonna go serve with Food Share in November. Do you know about Food Share? What I love about FoodShare is they help communities like ours where we have attempted to, um, not necessarily, not on purpose, but our our community doesn't see as much poverty as you see if you drive through Hartford. Well, FoodShare links those two communities. I love that. You don't have much time. You do have time, though, when you go shopping to grab an extra thing of coffee. I hope this doesn't mess up the sound. I'm going to walk back. I didn't tell him I was going to do this and you walk back to this bin that squeaks a lot that squeak is the sound of conviction (laughs) and you throw in some coffee and you're like do they really need coffee do you know how shameful it is when you could avoid coffee or uh, afford coffee last year and you can't this year especially in a part of the country like this one some of you do And some of you don't. There are people that are struggling day-to-day and week-to-week in Simsbury. So get your calendar out and write down the Wednesday before the first Sunday. Check on our local food pantry's website if you really want to go above and beyond. If you don't, just grab an extra pound of coffee and bring it. Because Jesus said, my followers took care of the neighbors they passed by. And in doing so, they were responding to my love with their hands and time and activity. And if you're retired and physically this is past you, we need your help figuring out how to do this as a gathering. If physically these opportunities are too challenging, I'll bet like Harvey Mojer and Rick Schoenhart and Bruce Dobby and Howard Hecht. You've done some local, all those four men used to do a, a bakery run around Simsbury to make sure that the social services in Simsbury get the bread from the local places after they don't sell it that day. We need your advice. If physically this is too much for you, we need you to help us plan. And I know you're tired. I'll get to that in just a second. But if this is too much for you, we need your help in planning it. You have a role. If you're still with us and a Christ follower, you have a role in helping this gathering become one that not only worships in spirit and in truth, not only knows how to love one another, but also is a faithful presence in the city, in the town that we find ourselves in. And each part of our vision is part of how we do evangelism, by the way. When you are worshiping, Singing and praying, confessing, that—that that is part of how we tell people what we believe. When they visit and, and even if they're not visiting, that's part of our evangelism. When we love one another well, when you went through a hard season and the church did a good job taking care of you, your neighbor saw that and it's part of our evangelism. And I know that stings for some of you because we missed an opportunity, either because we didn't know or because of the limits of our organization. But the way we do community... Is part of our evangelism, but this is the most direct part. Where the community knows, you know, the barn, they believe some funny stuff, but every time the food pantry had a need, they showed up. That's what I want to change. And this is the biggest gap right now with this church. Of the three components I've given so far, This is the biggest gap between what Christ calls us to as followers of him and what we're actually doing, and it's not individual. Many of our individuals are serving very faithfully, but as an organization, this is the biggest gap, and you're like, well, whose fault is that? You're in charge. You're right. (laughs) I'm working on it, but I need to be clear. When I was interviewing at the barn, I met with the alumni uh, relations director of my seminary, and He said, what's the name of the church? And I said, Covenant Presbyterian Church. And he said, how big is it? And I said, about 150. And he said, do they have a picture of their building on the website? And I said, yep. And he said, do they run a big day camp? And I said, yep. And he said, they're this kind of church. And he picked a quadrant of Myers-Briggs. And even if you hate Myers-Briggs, listen, this was in 2013. And I had 40 of our leaders take the test. And 32 of them were in the quadrant that he said. Now, how does he know that? Because this is what happens to local gatherings. It's not you. It might be me. But the reason I'm saying it is we need to grow. The quadrant that was represented are the people that know how to hold the church together. And we desperately need them. The reason I didn't preach this way the first year that I was here is we must be internally healthy first. If we go out and we try and serve everyone, but we're not actually loving one another, our hypocrisy would be painful, Maybe now our level of hypocrisy is something we can live with. Not because we're healthier now, but because I know that we're healthy. The point about the Myers-Briggs and all that is not that we're a bad church. I actually believe this is a beautiful church that God is very fond of. And this is the biggest gap in the vision statements that I've been offering. While I think our worship can use with some tweaking, it's good and it is obvious that you love Jesus when you come here and you sing and you pray. Our community is pretty good. This one will always need some improving because we need some help to learn to be kind to one another and actually be friends, not just put our best foot forward. But this is the biggest gap us leaving the building and going and being a faithful presence out there. So the vision is a faithful presence with our neighbors in the Farmington Valley. Our calling as individuals and as an organization is our best assessment. Of our gifts and our affections and our circumstances picture them like a, a wheel with a big peace sign in the middle of it those are the three things that we hold up before God and say what do you want us to do what is ours to do Lord as women and men who are followers of him and as a gathering and the reason I say that is not because I don't think you have a great sense of calling but because we have limits too. we can't serve everyone you know that right we, ha- we are finite, we have limits. You have to sleep. You have to eat. Most of you have to work, and that work takes up the bulk of your time. If your kid is on a sports team, you suddenly feel like that's your second job. And so as we explore this, as we explore the organizations we're involved with, and as we explore what organizations should we be involved in if we're remembering our limits, and the reason I'm saying that is, I don't want you to hear you need to be tired for Jesus. That's not the good news. The good news is Jesus, first of all. Whatever summary of the gospel I give or someone else gives, it needs to be entirely about Jesus. The good news is him who loves you, who became a man to live a perfect life that you are supposed to live and can't live and frees you into the with God life. Of healing from our past, joy today, and eternal security. That's the good news. And we respond to that good news by loving the neighbors God has put into our life, which includes learning to be faithfully present to our families, to our enemies, to those in need as that Jesus described in Matthew chapter 25, to those in our area. That are in need. My um, the the senior pastor that I worked for in in St. Louis wrote a book called The Imperfect Pastor. You might not want to read it because it's about pastoring. I really kind of want him to rewrite it like the imperfect guy or girl, the imperfect person, because it's a wonderful book. And the, the subtitle alone is the gospel. The subtitle of the book is Finding Joy in Our Limitations through an apprenticeship with Jesus. Doesn't that sound like life? You know, you remember that the time when you really knew that God loved you and you experienced it and it was profound and all you wanted to do was sing. Maybe you've had an experience like this, maybe not. And then like two years later, you're like, I still believe that. And I'm even still passionate about it sometimes. Well, what do I do now? We find joy in our limitations through an apprenticeship with Jesus. Even as an organization, I think we're getting better in our worship, in our love for one another, and in our faithful presence in the community. It is because of him, and by him, and through him that we receive joy, that we worship together and do community, and learn to be faithfully present as individuals and as a gathering. Pray with me. Father in heaven, guide us and correct us, cleanse us as your bride in our worship, in our love for one another, and in our offering of faithful presence in the neighborhoods we find ourselves in. Father, show us our limits so that we might serve well the organizations you have for a partnership with us. Show us our limits as individuals that we might experience the joy of the with God life and remember that you are God and we are not. Thank you, Jesus, for pursuing us, for incarnating and then calling us to yourself. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for indwelling us, comforting us in this moment and eternally. Father, as you have protected and guided this church, continue to protect and to guide it. Amen.